youth group back in the 60s to bring in somebody who'd just been saved from, from some horrendous life of sin. We'd bring in this gang member or this drug addict or this person who'd come from this horrible life and now is a Christian and witnessing to us and telling us teenagers to keep your right life straight. But it had the opposite effect on me. I, I kind of felt like, thought I didn't have any kind of testimony at all. I'd been raised in the church. I'd given my life to the Lord at age eight from the dark life of sin I was leading then. <laughs> and we chuckle at that, but I was as lost as those people we were bringing in front of our youth group, dead in my transgressions and sin. It doesn't matter what the sin is, sin separates. And so I began to see the value of my own salvation, that it didn't come from some wonderful dramatic story that's going to make headlines and cause people to come and hear that testimony, but rather this was a life that was changed from death to life. And, and I think Paul gets a hold of that and understands the contrast, and we should as well see that contrast. He uses here one of the social situations of his own current time, the political, religious, and social divide between Jew and Gentile. And this was massive in, in the first century. Uh, before Jesus, all these barriers were up. And Paul was aware of those as he writes to the Ephesian church. There was, first of all, this Jewish contempt for the Gentiles. There was a rabbinic saying that said, the Gentiles were created to fuel the fires of hell. It's good to have a purpose in life, you know. <laughs> that was the Gentiles' purpose. It was illegal in their Jewish culture to assist a Gentile woman in childbirth. Why bring another sinner into the world? If there was a marriage between a Jew and a Gentile, the Jewish family would hold a formal funeral service as if that person were dead to them from that time on. This is the divide that existed between Jew and Gentile. Paul says it here, the Gentiles were without hope, lost in the world. Paul notes that at the lowest times of Jewish history, and as a good Pharisee, he had known this in his early training, in the darkest times for them, whether that was Egypt or Babylon with the destruction of the temple, whatever it was, the Jews always had the hope of Messiah. It was always, next year in Jerusalem, Messiah is coming. We are ready for this. There's always this note of hope in who they are and where they're headed. History for the Jew was going somewhere in God's direction with this wonderful, positive, optimistic approach. Now, the Stoics of their culture believed that history was in a constant cycle. Some of the Stoics even believed it was the same people who were recycled every 300 years, just living the same futility. The Gentiles were just about the same way. Life was going someplace, but it wasn't any good for them because they had no hope in the midst of this. They were aliens. They lacked citizenship. They were excluded from all the rights and privileges of God's people. And the Jews loved their covenant history. And he talks here about those covenants. But the Jews are separate from that covenantal history. But the Jews just celebrate it over and over again. We see it right from the start. You know, in, in Genesis, it doesn't take long after the fall in the garden. It takes six chapters before we finally get to the place where God declares, I saw the people and every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts were only evil all the time. It's a pretty thorough sentence, isn't it? every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts, only evil all the time. And God decided, I'm going to wipe out humankind. But Noah found favor in the eyes of God. And so the covenant relationship now comes down in Noah. 
This is what we read in chapter 9. God says, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds. It would be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. So they start over. It only takes three chapters before they're down in the doldrums again. We look at chapters 9 through 11, and the sin continues, and the wickedness continues. And we start seeing the budding relationship then with Abraham. He says, okay, now I will choose a people. I will bless them. And he gives Abram this promise of a family, though they are past childbearing years. This promise of a land, this promise of a blessing. And then he announces the covenant of circumcision, which then Paul is referring to here when he talks about this division. And I've often imagined Abraham must have wondered at that and said, circumcision, really? Come on, Noah got a rainbow. (laughs) And yet the relationship, the covenant begins again. I will be their God. They will be my people. And this relationship all through the Old Testament continues to build. And we see it. And it comes through the patriarchs. It comes from Abraham, down to Isaac, and then to Jacob. And Jacob, wrestling with God, is renamed Israel. And his 12 sons, you know the story, because of the mistreatment of Joseph. Joseph ends up in Egypt. They all end up in Egypt because of the famine in the land. And after years and years and years, they forget Joseph, and they forget all the good things, and now they're slaves. And then God gives deliverance. And then the next covenant with Moses. And the law is given. First comes the grace and the deliverance, then comes the law, not the other way around. It wasn't, here's the law, if you keep it, I will deliver you. It is, I will deliver you. Now here is how you will glorify me. Here is how it will be lived out. And the covenant relationship continues. It comes to its pinnacle in the Old Testament in King David. The covenant of a kingdom that will last forever, which is fulfilled then in Jesus, the son of David. We recognize this covenant relationship that they have had all the way through. And it's announced in advance that this will be to all. Listen to what Jeremiah writes. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer will a person teach his neighbor or a person his brother or sister saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. This covenant relationship, Ezekiel reinforces it and says it will be on, not tablets of stone, but on hearts of flesh. And so Jesus comes as our high priest forever, our guarantee of this better covenant. It's this covenant relationship now that Paul is talking about to the Ephesians. When he says, it is for you, it is for everyone. Not just you Jews who have rejoiced in it for all of these generations, but for the Gentiles as well. Indeed, Paul has been called to be the apostle to the Gentiles. The Ephesian church was some of that group. And now he's telling them, we are included into this family. With Jesus, all these barriers that had gone up are crumbling, are falling down. Break down the barriers that would keep us apart. 
those who are far away and those who are near. <laughs> the Israelites, the Gentiles. He reconciles them all and pulls them in. Who are we? <laughs> were we a likely choice for the kingdom? None of us are. And yet he draws us in, pulls us together. There's Old Testament examples of how he pulls the Gentiles in. Rahab, the prostitute Gentile in Jericho, who helps the spies and says, now remember my family when you come and destroy. They say, we will. She's folded in to the family of God. Ruth, the Moabite, married in to the Jewish family, welcomed in to the family of God. Not only welcomed in, but both Rahab and Ruth in the lineage that leads us directly to Christ. We recognize that this is a family that grows internally and then expands. It is for everyone, but the Jews were still having trouble recognizing that and reaching out. And so, all through the New Testament, Jesus makes it clear to the disciples, and certainly later to Paul, that this barrier is to come down. They had barriers everywhere in the temple. There was the wall between the court of the Gentiles, and then the court of the women, and then the court of the Israelites, and then the court of the priests, and then on the holy and holy that only the high priest gets to go into once a year on the Day of Atonement. And all of those walls, he says, will come down. God illustrated it by taking the temple at the cross, and when Jesus died on the cross, ripping it from top to bottom and saying, yes, you're all welcome now. We all have access into the presence of God. Not one person once a year for the sins of everybody, everybody at all times coming into his presence. We rejoice in that, don't we? The access we have into the power of God. Listen to what Paul writes to the Colossian church. Now, here, in our setting, there is no Greek or Jew, no circumcised or uncircumcised, no barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. That's what Paul is celebrating. And that's what we need to celebrate as well in the family of God, that this outreach goes so far beyond what our imagine, imagination can hold. And so beginning in three days, we will start Ash Wednesday, entering in the Lenten season for this year. The crescendo that just leads us day by day, moment by moment, into the presence of Christ and a celebration of his resurrection power. We can't understand the rejoicing unless we understand the darkness. We can't understand the joy of Easter morning without the heartache of the cross, the blackness of Saturday, all the things leading up to this. We need to see what Christ has done for us. And so in, in verses 14 through 17, in the passage we're looking at here in Ephesians, there are these affirmations. There are no longer any outsiders. See what that means in their culture? No longer division, political, economic, racial, gender, status, none of those things keep us from Christ. Bring it these centuries to us, and we need to hear and proclaim the same thing. There are no walls that Jesus cannot break down. There are no barriers to fellowship in Christ. He said, we are reconciled to God through Christ, guaranteed and sustained by his Holy Spirit who lives within us. He guarantees for us this eternal life that he provides, this resurrection power, it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead, is now living in you. Sometimes we just have to get a hold of that. That's the power that God has for us through his spirit. We belong because of Christ. And so the legalism of the Pharisees did not lead to love. Only forgiveness leads to love. 
Listen to how Paul writes it to the Romans. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened in the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. And over in chapter 10, if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is the heart you believe and are justified, and with the mouth you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, everyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that message comes filtering down to us. Are there walls that we have built? Are there barriers that we have created? Are there people that are unreachable in our mindset? Paul was one of those. (laughs) And yet God reached him. Who in your head is unreachable? Don't even bother with them, God. And what if he'd have treated us that way? But it's an open invitation. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So this is what we celebrate as the season of Lent approaches. And don't miss next Sunday. Brad Kelly's going to share with us. He always has such a fresh word for us. Going to be a good kickoff to this Lenten season. What a time to celebrate as the body of Christ and to demonstrate to our world the humility and the grace that tears down walls instead of building walls up. And so it comes to this forgiveness. Consequently, as Brett read to us, we're no longer foreigners and aliens. We are fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. And then he shares the illustration uh, with Peter, who has also learned this lesson. Remember Peter's vision where the sheet comes down with all the unclean food on it? As a good Jewish boy, he said, I would never eat from that. And God says to him, that which I have called clean, you don't call unclean. And he gets the message after three times the vision comes, and there's Cornelius knocking on the door saying, come to my Gentile home and share the gospel with us. Let's be open to how God wants to use us to those behind barriers, the disenfranchised of our world. But he shares this illustration with Peter of we are all then built into this living house. We are living stones, and Christ is the chief cornerstone. We have illustrations of that all the way through. Jesus talks about the foundation on which you build, which is Christ Jesus. We learn that we are in this, living stones with Christ. And see what it says in Peter's version of this. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind, but like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that you may grow up in your salvation, that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, it lines us up right with Christ, he is the living stone, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a royal priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are one with Christ. 
if he lives within us by his spirit, we begin to recognize what that unity is all about. I've mentioned before that three of our 14 grandkids are adopted and going through the adoption ceremonies and explaining to those kids was such a marvelous experience as a grandparent. Yesterday, you weren't my granddaughter. You weren't my grandson. Today, you are. Yesterday, you weren't part of a family. Now, you are a part of a family. There's nothing different between you and those who were born to this. And that's what was happening in the first century when the Jews were saying, oh, I see. The Gentiles have been grafted in. And when Paul and Barnabas come back and report to the council in Jerusalem in Acts 15, they receive the Holy Spirit just as we receive the Spirit. What, what's the difference between us? Nothing. The door is open for everyone and we have full entrance into the family of God. A constant reminder, we are part of God's household. Once we're entered in, we take our place in his church, in the body of Christ. We are one with him, and therefore, one with each other. Sometimes we don't make that connection. If I am one with God, and you are one with God, there's an inference here. We are one with each other. And we need to find that unity in the body of Christ and what it means to know him and know others in that way. And it's always in a group. Further down in the Peter description, he says, but you are a chosen people. That's a group. A royal priesthood. That's a group. A holy nation. That's a group. You see where we're going with this? We are in this together. There is no individual Christianity in the New Testament. It is corporate. We. When Jesus teaches us to pray, it is not I, me, and my. It is we and us and our. It is always community. And we're learning what that community is about. And always in a transition time between pastors in a church is a time when we find our own personality, who we are as a body of Christ. And we're asking you to do things you haven't been asked to do. We're asking for volunteers all over the place. We're seeing the things that God can do as he continues to work within us. We see what God's work is for us because we belong to Christ. If I were to show you this raggedy old pencil, all teeth marks all over it, no eraser all broken off, I could still make a mark with it, worthless, basically less than a penny. But if you were to see that same pencil under glass in a museum, and they said, this is the pencil that Abraham Lincoln used to write the Gettysburg Address. There'd be a bidding war. <laughs> Who knows what that would be worth? Not because of what it is, but who possessed it. And our value is not in who we are, for it's messed up just like that old raggedy pencil. It's in who possesses us. And if he is my possessor, if I belong fully to him, the value just skyrockets because now I'm a child of God. And I understand what it means to be transformed and to be his and to be part of a community that is likewise transformed, changed by his grace. And so Peter finishes up his illustration by saying, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have 
receive mercy. And that's the good news. That's the good news we carry into the Lenten season. We accept his love. We mature in Christ. We find our place in his church. And so when you are part of a church, it's not just a matter of providing you a point of view. It's providing you a home. And home is what we're looking for, isn't it? Heaven is what we're homesick for. And in the meantime, this is what God gives us. His family, his home, living stones built together with Christ to glorify and honor him. We are free to fulfill our purpose in the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that we as your family would recognize our value, would recognize what you have given us by your Spirit and through your grace, that we might know